The following is a President's Chapel. For more information about this lecture or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474, wscal.edu, 888-480-8474. Would you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17? Hear now the word of the Lord. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So far the reading of his word. In the foreword to a book called From Weakness to Strength by Scott Sauls, recently published, Johnny Erickson Todd referred to herself as, quote, a leader by default. She then goes on to say, quote, now if I were God, I would do it differently. I'd pick the smartest men and women to be on my strategy team. I'll draft the world's sharpest millionaires to finance the operation. My public relations people would be the most effective communicators anywhere. Weak people need not apply. Those with physical defects, forget it. People who might slow down my progress, never. Now, part of this is Johnny Erickson Tata is a quadriplegic. She's bound to her wheelchair even as she goes and teaches and leads in the various places. She then says, thank the Lord that I am not running the world. He is in charge. And he opens his arms to the weak and ungifted, the unlovely and unlikely. He opens his arms to sinners. It's because of his great love. It's also because this is the way God does things to bring maximum glory to himself. God's church is full of leaders by default, surprising leaders unlikely leaders, or perhaps accidental leaders. I see many here. Not because you're not gifted, but many of us don't deserve to be leading in his church. People who do not fit the model found in how to win friends and influence others. This morning, let me share with you one such accidental leader who does not fit the world's image of a leader, but certainly fits the Lord's. It's the story of Paul, a sinner saved by grace and sent out with his power. A sinner saved by grace and sent out by his power. Paul is indeed a sinner. He was and is. As verse 13 says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, You've heard him say this many times, that he was a persecutor, a common theme as he refers to his own past background as he persecuted the church. He was also a blasphemer. 
The term blaspheme can simply mean slander or speech, but I think understanding this self-description to denote the implicit insult to God and rejecting his son Jesus Christ is likely. And the reason for that is because Paul later uses the same term to describe the actions of Hymenaeus and Alexander who have abandoned the Lord Jesus Christ. He was also an insolent opponent. He was a rebel, perhaps with a cause, he thought, but all actions against God are rebellious of those who have been created in Christ's image, and Paul was simply that. He rebelled against God. And his conclusion about his life was simply this in verse 15 when he says that Jesus came, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. He was the foremost of sinners. Notice where the emphasis is. Not that he was, but as he says, I am. He was a foremost of sinners. This repeats a pattern of the greatest apostle, apostle expressing his understanding of his spiritual state prior to Jesus Christ and the ongoing state before God. As 1 Corinthians 15, 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles. Ephesians 3, 8 says, Though I am the very least of all the saints. Here the term may be translated chief of sinners, as the King James Version, or the worst of sinners, as the NIV has it. This is an honest and perhaps a brutal look at oneself. This is not an explanation of self based on comparisons with others, whether we are better or worse than the people around us, or an idealized picture of self, whether we ought to be this way or ought not to be on our best days when we think we think we are actually better than we actually are. Here often scholars note the way Luke describes Paul and how that description is so different from Paul's description of self. And in fact, that has been used as a way of undermining the account of Luke saying that he's not very historical because he differs so much from Paul. Because the way Luke sees Paul was that Luke sees Paul as a man of considerable education and status. Luke saw a man who was comfortable with all kinds of people networking wherever he went. A man who was sure of himself and who seems to triumph wherever he went. But Paul of the letters was quite different. For you see, Paul might have been seen by Luke as a hero, but Paul did not see himself as one. He recognized the kind of person he was. At ground level, he knows and sees himself as a sinner. As John Stott says, the truth is rather that when we are convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit, an immediate result is that we give up all such comparisons with others in particular. Paul was so vividly aware of his own sins that he could not conceive that anybody could be worse It is the language of every sinner whose conscience has been awakened and disturbed by the Holy Spirit because we stand before the awe-inspiring holiness of God. Paul knew who he was, and he knew himself to be a sinner before God. But this is not where the story ends. But Paul knew he was a sinner, but a sinner saved by grace. As verse 15 begins by saying, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And this is the gospel logic of Paul, isn't it? Christ Jesus came. He came to save. Christ Jesus came to save sinners, including Paul. And Christ 
Jesus came to save sinners in order that they might possess eternal life, he says in verse 16. But this is not simply a theologian contemplating on the gospel of Jesus Christ in a detached fashion, but this gospel is real and personal to him. It's personal in the sense that in verse 14 he says, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Overflowed, he says. He is full of superlatives in this paragraph when he talks about being foremost twice. He talks about the perfect patience. He talks about the fact that the grace of Jesus Christ overflowed in his life. The grace of the Lord was poured out for him in abundance so that he might have life. It's a bit ironic to me that when Paul says this, this is the Paul who asked in Romans, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he answered his own rhetorical question with a strong negative when he says, by no means. This certainly should not be our pursuit, as Paul says, to pursue sin so that grace may abound. But this certainly was reality in his life. He abounded in sin. That's the point that he makes. Yet in his life, grace superabounded. It overflowed in grace. Not only was this personal for him as it flowed abundantly, here this gospel was received passively. He certainly did not earn it. As verse 13 says, I received mercy. It overflowed in me, he says, verse 14. And verse 14 comes, 16 goes on to say, but I received mercy, he says. The passive voice makes very explicit that the main character in the act of salvation is Christ Jesus at work in Paul. His life is not about him. Paul's life is not about him. Your life is not about you either, is the point that scripture seems to make over and over again. Since his life is wholly a product of the grace of Jesus Christ. He certainly did not create or earn grace, but he received it. It is by the mercy and grace of God that Paul has life. He certainly understands that he cannot bestow grace. He cannot impart or infuse grace into the lives of others. After all, he is a recipient of grace, passively received because of the work of Jesus. Moreover, he certainly understands that he depends on grace all of his life. His past, his present, and his future all depend upon the mercy and grace of God who gives graciously and generously to the undeserving, like Paul. He received the grace of God. This grace consciousness is so important for us. Michael O., who is currently leading the Lausanne Conference, in his little article called The Danger of Fruitfulness Without Purity, records this little uh, account of his conversation. Years ago, he said, I asked Jim Downing, one of the patriarchs of the Navigator Network, why is it that so few men finish well? Michael asked. Why is it that so few men finish well? His response was profound. He said, they learn the possibility of being fruitful without being pure. They begin to believe that purity doesn't matter. 
eventually they become like trees rotting inside that are eventually toppled by the wind. On the outside looking perfectly good, on the inside slowly rotting away. There is indeed possibility of success in ministry without purity and holiness, brothers and sisters. And here, the more we become conscious of our own sinfulness, the greater the picture of God's grace in our lives. And we come to recognize that indeed, for sinners like us, the grace of Jesus Christ superabounded. A sinner saved by grace and now sent. Sent out, we are told. Paul is appointed. There are four brief points here I want to quickly go over. For Paul is appointed. As we are told in verse 12, he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Worthy of note in this statement is that the service to which Paul is called is not something that he earned or sought for himself, but is the result of divine initiation. That is, God called him. Even more, he is thankful not only for the service to which he is called, but that he had been placed in the service at all in the first place. How does a one so undeserving as a sinner not only get called, but called to serve? It's the recognition of his own brokenness that allows him to be able to say that of all the people the Lord called, he called me, you and I, the unlikely, the broken, the surprising, the accidental individuals the Lord had set aside to serve his people and the church. How many of us here come into this chapel thinking we deserve to be here? We are getting exactly what we have earned along the way for nothing that we do, nothing that we're called to do, nothing that we look forward to doing. The surprising element is that we are called to do so. May that all in wonder that the Lord has called you into this service be a part of your life every single day. But the surprising thing for Paul is that he was called into the service in the first place. But not only was he called and appointed, he was called into his service. He was appointed to his service. Paul is referring to Jesus Christ, his Lord, obviously. It's Christ's service to which we're called. Paul is well aware of false teachers in Ephesus who are puffed up with conceit, chapter 6, verse 4, understand nothing, chapter 1, verse 7, depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, chapter 6, verse 5, because they had seared consciences, according to chapter 4, verse 2. What was their problem? They thought the ministry was about them. This is why, in summary, Paul later on goes on to say in chapter 6, they pursued godliness as a means of gain for themselves. They pursued godliness as a means of gain for themselves. But Paul reminds us, not only are we appointed by his grace, we are appointed to his service. Not your kingdom, not your kingdom, not your kingdom. It's his kingdom. We are called into his service. And you know what we do in that service? We display Jesus. We display Jesus. 
His life is best understood through the lens of grace as he says, he is an example. The word is translated variously a pattern. Prime example, prototype, or a model of the grace of Jesus Christ. We are examples that demonstrate God's grace. The very fact that God spared Paul from eternal condemnation, granting him life in the Son, and then calling him into Christ's service all indicate Jesus' perfect patience to the foremost of sinners in whom the grace of the Lord overflowed. These superlatives are intentional. Like the woman who loved much because she was forgiven much, Paul is acutely aware of the precious life he has in Christ Jesus. He is, and likewise we are, the canvas on which the Lord fully displays his patient grace. And by our proclamation and by our lives, we display Jesus. But in doing this, we recognize our weakness and brokenness and shortcoming. And this is where the assurance comes when he says in verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength. I thank him who has given me strength. It's by his strength. It's not ours. It's by his strength. The phrase usually refers to the actions of Christ or God himself, as he says in 2 Timothy 2.1, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Philippians 4.13, yours and my favorite. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, he says. Were it left to our own strength and power and wisdom and knowledge, we're in deep trouble. But the promise is, he stood by me and he strengthened me. Sinners saved by grace, sent out with his power to display the awe-inspiring grace of Jesus Christ. If you are this, like Paul, what's the only thing left? Well, I think verse 17 says it all. Often Paul is moved in his teaching to praise and doxology. He cannot help but to turn to the Lord in singing praises to him, inspired by the grace at work in his life, when he ends this section by saying to the king of ages, immortal, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, new semester upon you. For many of you who are seniors, you are now busily thinking about what life would look like after you graduate. There are moments when providence shines upon you, and it's a sunny day like sunny California. And there will be days that providence frowns upon you, and it seems like the dark cloud is hanging over your lives. But remember this, you are a sinner saved by his abundant grace, called by him and sent forth with his strength. He stood by me and strengthened me so that we may display and proclaim Jesus Christ. May he sustain you. May he encourage you and remind you. And may your lips sing what Paul sings, praises and honor to the Lord for he has been good to us. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. At the beginning of this new semester, O Lord, 
Remind us of your grace in our lives, which flowed over abundantly for sinners like us. Lord, allow us thanks and thanksgiving hearts and lips for recognizing the very fact that we are here in this seminary, studying so that we may be able to serve your people and your church. What an honor. Lord, we're grateful to you that you will use weak and unlikely vessels like us to proclaim your word so that your glory may shine through our weakness. We thank you for your promise to strengthen us, sustain us, and guide us in all ways. We look forward to many months coming before us, O Lord, of studying hard, serving hard, working hard, faithfully serving your people that surround us, O Lord. Every single day, remind us of your grace. Place the word before us as we hold on to your promises, O Lord. And pray that by your strength, we may carry on for your glory and for your honor and for your church. For we pray these things in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.